in talking to the, the Dawkins family, they asked, was dad going to be here this morning? And I said, well, no, you're going to have to put up with me. Um, it was nice to be able to get in the car and fill in 15 minutes down the road, then an hour, hour and a half, two hours. We're always uh, thankful to be here with our friends together. I was talking to a brother yesterday, and it was something about being together, you know, uh, live streaming, or, you know, we've had to go through all of our different things, but there's something that the Lord has put us together. We need to be together as a people to worship the Almighty King. Um, the other day we were getting ready to go uh, to another church and sister, I was, we were trying to scramble and I looked at Sister Molly I said, we're, we're going to be late. And she looked at me like the prophet did David and said, you're the man. <laughs> you're the one that's going to make us late. And I was like, she's right, I can't argue. Uh, but Primitive Baptists uh, believe, one of our beliefs is the tulip doctrine. We believe in total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and the preservation of the saints. A Calvinistic, they, they, instead of preservation of the saints, they believe in perseverance of the saints. Now we do believe in perseverance. We do believe in making a stride and towards the mark of the high calling. That is what we believe, but as far as our, that P there, the primitive Baptists believe in the preservation of the saints. I've had people ask me or tell me that primitive Baptists preach too much depravity. And then you know, some other people say, you preach too much grace. Well, I don't think, I've said this before, if you don't understand depravity, you're never gonna understand the fullness of God's grace upon his children. I wanna to turn to Titus three and three, and I wanna know where we were, where we're at, and where we're going. Many people look up their ancestry, you know, want to know as far back as they can go. They want to know as much about their family history as they can. And if you don't uh, understand total depravity, you're never going to understand how great God is, how merciful God is, his grace upon all of his children. Turn to Titus 3.3, or we can start in verse 1. Paul tells Titus, he says, Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. Why is he telling Titus to, to do this? He's telling Titus to do this. He tells him in verse 3, he says, For we ourselves were sometimes foolish. We were sometimes foolish. You know, the fool has said in his heart, what? There is no God. He says, in Psalms 14 and Psalms 53, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That's depravity. He says, we were just like that. So we need to be nice to these people. You know, the thief on the cross, never uh, people looking at him, putting their face upon him. There's no way they're going to be like, well, the one on the left, he's going to hell. The one on the right, he's going to heaven. But <laughs> there was nothing that they could see. In their eyes, they were both going down. Okay, that's why we're not to be, we're to be subject to people. We don't know what God has in store for his children, whether he blesses them in the womb, he blesses them on the road to Damascus, he goes a thief on the cross. That's why we're to be subject. We're supposed to be, not brawlers, but gentle to these people. We don't know where the child of God is and when God will uh, place upon his heart, take his evil and stony heart. He says, speak evil of no man, to be not brawlers, but gentle, 
showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures. We've all served the lust of the flesh growing up. Sometimes in times past, we were all in that state. That's what he's saying. He says, we were sometimes, Apostle Paul uh, was deceived. He's serving diverse lusts and pleasures and malice and envy against the children of God. Paul was in that state himself, shouting out threatenings. He says, malice and envy, hateful. Not only hateful, but hating one another. There's one thing to just be outright hateful. But then when we hate one another, he goes, we were ourselves, Titus. We were sometimes this way. He says, but, and I love the buts in the Bible. We all, thank God for the buts. But after that, after all that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Which way did it appear? It appeared from us to God? No, it appeared. God appeared to us. No man can come to the Father except the, or Jesus, except the Father draw him. That's how that happens. The kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. In Genesis 28, we got the story of Jacob. Now, Jacob, he was a hot mess. I'm talking hot mess. I mean, <laughs> we are no different <laughs> than Jacob. I mean, he was a deceiver. He lied to his parents. His family was a hot mess. I mean, <laughs> there was nothing that Jacob was doing to receive the parent, you know, the love of God. The, uh, <laughs> first, he was running away from God. He was running from Esau. He was in, he was in trouble. He was not running towards God. He was running away. He done created a hot mess, hightailing it out of town. But it says in Genesis 28, And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. Behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, God of Abraham thy father and God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Here he is running away. God apprehended him. That's how he does all his children. We weren't running to God. <laughs> he apprehended us. He shed his love upon us. He says that after the kindness and love, I love the love of God, but I love the kindness of God. I need the kindness of God. There's not kindness in this world, but God's got a special kindness and love for his children. After the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. What about uh, Saul of Tarsus? We read in Acts, book of Acts here, we get to it. Oh, Saul of Tarsus, boy, he was really running to Jesus, wasn't he? I don't think so. He was, he was the number one threat to Jesus. Jesus and his disciples, his apostles. He, would, he took no mercy on women and, uh, and men. It was not a good situation, just like Jacob. Jacob was running away. Paul was running too, but it wasn't, wasn't for mercy. It was for slaughter. 
We'll get to it one day. Acts chapter 9. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desires him letters to Damascus. Here we got, he's desiring letters to the synagogues. And if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He wasn't, looking, he wasn't looking at Jesus. Jesus apprehended him. He's fixing to light him up. He said, and he said, where art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembled and astonished, said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no man. He was astonished. We shouldn't be astonished at what's going on in the world today. We really shouldn't. I mean, you, know, you, you say it, I say it just out of habit sometimes. Like, that's astonishing. That is so surprising. I mean, you, we're not to be astonished at the world and what things are going around us. We should be astonished at what the Lord is doing. He's still on his throne. He still has all power. That's what we should be astonished. Have you been astonished lately? Are you seeking the astonishment of the Lord? He said, he trembled and astonished and said, Lord, what would I have me to do? That is our cry. What will you have me to do today, Lord? That's like a daily prayer. What will you have me do today? Lead me, guide me, direct me in righteousness. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul rose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, neither did he... Uh, eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. I wonder what Ananias is thinking at this point. <laughs> the Lord's calling upon him. He says, And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. I'm telling you, this is when I call those <laughs> daring headlight moments for Ananias. It's like, Saul of Tarsus, you're sending him my way? <laughs> uh, okay, this must be a joke, right? Behold, he prayeth, and he's seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. I mean, Ananias, I would be freaking out <laughs> right now. I'd be running for the hills like, this is not right. You know, he's questioning the Lord when he's asking the Lord the question. He's like, I've heard about, the, you know, he's basically saying, We're, something's wrong here, okay? But he told him, he prayeth. The Lord said, I've heard many, or he says, and here hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said to him, go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that what? Appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. He appeared to Paul, Saul at the time, in the way. The Lord appeared into 
mine and your life at one point between conception and where we're at today. And he willed all his little children. He will appear unto them in a mighty way because God with his love and with his kindness will appear unto every single one. He's not going to lose one. He's able. He's able, as our verse said this morning, to keep them from falling. He says, verse 4, but after the kindness and love our God, our Savior, toward man appeared. And now he's fixing to tell, him, tell you why, <laughs> why he appeared. It wasn't because of what? It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. It's not by works. Apostle Paul fought this hard, fought this hard, fought this hard. They wanted to go back under the law. It's like, you know, they wanted, children of Israel wanted to go back into Egypt, even though they're going to be under bondage. They, at least they'd be able to eat and drink. And they wouldn't have to worry about food for the next day and worry about all the things that are ahead, putting their trust in the arm of flesh instead of the arm of God. That's why in Second Chronicles uh, chapter 32, it says, after these things, the establishment thereof, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered into Judah and encamped against the fenced cities and thought to win them for himself. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib was come and that he was purposed to fight against Jerusalem, he took counsel with the princes and his mighty men to stop the waters of the fountains which out the city and did help him. He was fixing to stop up the water so they, their horses and chariot, you know, horses couldn't have any water. He's on the right track here. And they did help him. So they were gathering much people together who stopped all the fountains in the book that ran through the midst of the land, saying, Why should the king of Assyria come and find much water? Also he strengthened himself and built up the wall that was broken and raised it up to the towers and another wall without and repaired Milo and the city of David and made darts and shield in abundance. And he set captains of war over the people and gathered them together in the street of the of the city and spake comfortably to them. So that's what the gospel is. It's comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. It's not, oh Israel, prepare to meet thy God. You see on billboards on the side of the road, it's not a heaven to hell text. It's a, a salvation here in time. They're, they're going to have to put on their big boy pants. Judgment was about to come to Jerusalem. He's saying, oh Israel, you know, prepare to meet thy God. We need to be a preparing people. We don't need to just show up on Sunday morning unprepared just trying to get here time for song service. We need to be preparing throughout the week. You don't never hear a football coach come to the mic and say, well, we didn't prepare all week. We just showed up game time and expected to win the victory. There's a victory to be won during the week if we're preparing ourselves through the week. You know, they're always, well, we had a great week of preparation this week. We've really crossed all our T's and dotted all our I's and made great preparation, but we need to be preparing. You don't, can't prepare for a good meal the day of whenever the whole family shows up for Thanksgiving and you just start to put it on the pot. That's a whole long week of preparing to make proper things. We need to be preparing for the Lord. We've got some things to do. Where we're, this is where we're at. This is where we're, we're going. He said, verse 7, Be strong and courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with him. For there be more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh. That's what the world has. They have an arm of flesh. That's why we're being strong and courageous. Because with them, it's just an arm of flesh. But with us, there'll be more with us than with him. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, 
king of Judah. How could they rest? Well, the enemy had the arm of flesh, but all God's children have the arm of the Lord. He saves by a mighty hand. His arm's not too short that what? It cannot save. His ear's not too heavy that he cannot hear. He hears the cries of God's elect. He hears all your cries day and night. He hears. His arm's not too short that it cannot save you not eternally and timely here in this world. He can reach down to the belly of a woman, save that child before the physician's knife gets to it. It's an abomination in the sight of God. God's arm's not too short. We need to know and understand that. It says, not by works of righteousness we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his what? By our works? No, by his grace. Justified means to declare righteous. We were declared righteous by what? His grace. Not our works, but by his grace. By grace are you saved through faith and not of yourself. It is the gift of God. This is a faithful thing, and these things that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works, that these things are good and profitable unto men. That's where we are at. We were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, not by works of righteousness, God has saved us. And now what are we supposed to be doing? That's where we were. Where are we at? It says, this is saying, I will that affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are what? They're good and profitable unto men. Everybody likes profit. There's nobody that's going to say, I like to go down. They want profit. I don't care what it is or what subject. You want something comfortable. Today's in a world of comfort. You want comfortable shoes. You want comfortable car to ride in. You want a comfortable bed, comfortable clothes. Everything is comfort, comfort. You, my people, these things, these good works are very comforting. They are profitable, okay? This is what we should be doing here and now. That's where we were. One, because of what we did, that God shed his love upon us and his kindness. But now that we know why, we need to be doing good works. We need to be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. I want to parallel Titus 3.3 3 with Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus, and this uh, chapter, it goes right along parallel with what he's telling brother Titus. He says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. We know that dead people can't do anything. You got the natural, you went uh, natural dead and you got spiritual deadness, and this is what he's referring to when he says dead in trespasses and in sins, is he hath quickened you. He has borne you from above. He has translated you from darkness into light. You were dead, you couldn't do anything. That's why man can't come to Jesus. <laughs> That's why he has no spiritual life. I was talking to a brother the other day and we were discussing some verses and he's of a different order. And I was telling him, you know, if, it's like Carl, I was like, if you have concern about your eternal life, or if you have anything, any doubts of where you're going, if you're going to hold out to the end, if you have any, show any kind of life, that's your sign right there. That's your sign. You have eternal life. Otherwise, you wouldn't have no concern. 
You wouldn't. If you're dead in trespasses and sins, you're not going about to seek the Lord. You're not going about to praise the Lord. You won't have spiritual ears. You know, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God because they're what? They're foolishness unto him. Paul said, we were sometimes foolish. They're foolishness unto you. Neither can he know them because they're what? Spiritually discerned or spiritually dead. You don't have a, a spiritual receiver. You're not going to receive the Spirit of God. You're not going to receive those things preached in the pulpit. You're not going to be sitting out there like I was as a kid. It's like, I wish I was anywhere, but here I was being disobedient, <laughs> deceived. You know, I didn't, you know, I've been to church more in one year than all my friends did in their whole lifetime. That's what I used to tell them. I was like, you don't even know what church is. I said, and so he's saying, you were dead in trespasses and sins when he quickened you. Where in times past, here we go, in times past, where we were, in times past you walked what? According to the course of this world. This world has a course. <laughs> we need to be unspotted from the world. We don't need to be on the course of this world. But before God apprehended you and appeared with his love and kindness upon you, this is where you're, you were at. In times past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air, who is the devil, the spirit that now worketh in the children of what? Disobedience. We were foolish disobedient this is where you were among whom also we had our conversation paul's putting himself right back into it he's not saying i'm all holy and almighty and you know you need to get your act cleaned up it's like we he puts himself in we he goes in my flesh it dwelleth no good thing paul understood what it meant according to the prince and power of the air the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience among whom also we had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. It's not only sins of omission, but it's sins of commission. What we're thinking, you know, the Lord's law is a lot stricter than the law here. I can think that, you know, I'd like to go, you know, rob a bank, whatever, you know, lie or whatever, say something. I'm just thinking foolish thoughts like that. Well, the sheriff ain't going to show up and arrest you and put you in jail because you thought about something. No, but the, you've already committed sin in God's eyes. If you lust after a woman, you've already committed adultery. God doesn't play around. He says, we, this is how we were. We desire to fill the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature. Here we go. And by nature. The natural man receiveth not the things. Man by nature says in his heart the full has said in his heart, there is no God. That's the nature you were, the children of wrath, malice, envy, hateful, hating one another, even as others. But God, here we go, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. We were in that state when God loved you. He became poor that we may become what? Rich. That's a rich mercy. That's a rich love. To be in this kind of state and for God to move upon us. Knowing, you know, he didn't look down through time and see us. He, he did look down through time and there was none to seek him. None that would come after him. He said in the New Testament, he goes, you will not come to me. He goes, you, you will not. You cannot. You can't will it. You can't know it. He goes, that wasn't the state we were in when he loved us and set his love upon us. A love that was set on you before the foundation of the world. A love that he had and went into covenant grace with his son, knowing what Adam would do in the Garden of Eden. Knowing all this, he set his love in the covenant with his children, and he gave them to his son, his only begotten son. 
and he would send him into the world that we would be with him forever. No greater love hath any man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You know, they charged the Lord Jesus Christ, said he was a gluttonous man, not guilty. He was a wine-bibber, not guilty. They charged him as being a friend of sinners, guilty. Thank God he was guilty for being a friend of sinners and was willing to lay down his life for the ungodly. But God, who is rich in mercy, that means he's abundant in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. When did he love us? Even we were what? Dead in sins have quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved and hath raised us up together. Remember I talked about being together? Well, this is where the Lord put us together. He says, and hath raised us up together and made us sit what? Together. I love to sit with the family of God. I love the primitive Baptist way of worship. We're all what? Together. We're not separated. That's the devil's tactic. Let's separate us. Let's keep us apart. We're always better together. I love family get-togethers. I love any time that we can just get together, no matter what kind of occasion it is, to be with the sheep, the family, the love of God. You put a smile on my face. I don't enjoy all I enjoy being with other <laughs> church families but there's something about being with our home church and our home family about being together and the lord said i hath raised us up together and made us sit together where in heavenly places in what christ jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his what his kindness toward us through christ jesus for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. What, Paul? Not of works? <laughs> Here we go. It's not of works. That's just how we, we think and do. I mean, we're just prone to it. We want everybody to even see what we've done. You know, we want somebody to see us giving and doing. It's just the natural man. We can't shake. You know, we just can't help it. But he says, it's not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto what? That's where we were, and this is where we need to be at. We need in Christ Jesus unto good works. I told you before, we, we don't believe in eternal salvation works, but we do believe in works here in time. And we need to be diligent. We need to be very diligent in our works. Because he said what? They're profitable. These works are profitable. They may not be profitable right now, but they're profit down the road it starts to build up as we try to do good works and we should be doing them for the children of God especially in the household of faith he says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should we should walk in them wherefore remember that being in times past here we go past Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. The, uh, to understand the depravity, to understand where we're at, to understand the grace on this side. So this is where we were. God shed his love and kindness towards us. It appeared towards us. It appeared towards Jacob there as he was running away. It appeared towards Saul of Tarsus on his road to Damascus ready to 
take vengeance on the children of God. They appeared to the thief on the cross at the last minute. That's why he said in First Titus 3, verse 1 and 2, to be gentle, not be brawlers unto people. We should show the love of God in us to all, all men. We should have mercy upon them. We should pray for them as uh, Stephen did upon the getting stoned to death. You know, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's the attitude and that's what kind of works we need to be applying in our life. The, uh, so this, that was where we were. And that's, this is where we're at. If we turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippian church was very dear to the Apostle Paul. And he says in chapter 2, If there be any, therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if in any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one cord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife and vainglory, but in lowliness, of mind that each esteem each other better than themselves. This is what we're to be doing. We're to be full of good works, but he's telling us, he says, fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. Let nothing be done through strife and vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. See, the, you know, the Lord always works in reverse of what, you know, the world wants you to be high and lifted up. I went and, uh, I was in downtown at a restaurant and I walked into a, one of the restaurants and they were prepping some food. This lady was and she said, I asked her, I said, how you doing? She said, great. She said, how you doing? I said, better than I deserve. And she looked at me like, you, what? I was like, well, this spiritual conversation has come to a complete halt. <laughs> I can tell she has no clue what I just said. So we're just going to move on and say, here you go, sign this and bye-bye. <laughs> But I could tell, she was like, what are you talking about? That's foreign language to me. <laughs> Let nothing be done through strife of Bangalore and lowliness of mind that each other esteem better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. In verse 12, it says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Well, I don't have to belabor the point that he's not talking about eternal salvation to this crowd, but he's not. So if you don't know, he's not. But there is a salvation here in time that we need to be working out. He says you need to make your calling and election of God sure. You're not making your calling and election of God for sure to God. You're making it sure to yourself and those around you. He says you need to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in us both to will and to do of, of whose pleasure? Of his good pleasure. He has given you, the, he's working with you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We can look on him for strength. We can look on him for courage. We can look on him for the path ahead of us because he's working in us to both do his will and to do of his good pleasure. There's one thing to do of your own pleasure. It was very, you know, he's telling somebody it's my pleasure. 
You know, you do something for somebody, it's my pleasure. It's actually God's good pleasure when you work in goodwill and good works to your fellow man. He says, for you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It was the father's pleasure. It pleased the Lord to bruise the son that his children might be with him one glorious and final day. It's his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Second Corinthians chapter 8 verse 7 it says therefore as ye abound in everything there's something that we need to be abounding in in faith. We need to be abounding in faith and utterance and knowledge. We need to have some knowledge. Apostle Paul learned some things and he learned how to be abased. He learned how to abound. He learned how to be hungry. He learned how to be full. There are some things that the child of God needs to be learning. And if we're not spending time in the word, we're not going to learn. But the apostle Paul, it was not a just gifted these things. He had to learn them. It didn't just, when he peered on the Damascus Road, all these things, just like, he's like, the man with the plan. No, he's not. He had to learn some things along the way. And, you know, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. It was Christ who gave him the strength to be able to learn how to be hungry. I grew up, we were always hungry. I felt so bad for my little sister. She had three older brothers. <laughs> and they were all, we were always hungry. We didn't know how to be full. <laughs> so we would be poaching from her plate if we were able to go out to eat. We'd be making crackers and putting tartar sauce on them <laughs> as a uh, <laughs> something before the meal because we were hungry. We didn't know how to be full. But I'm telling you, Paul learned how to be full. He learned how to be hungry. He learned how to be abased, and he learned how to abound for the cause of Christ. He says, therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. For ye know, this is something that we need to learn, we need to know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. I love the Lord, and I love y'all, and I appreciate you allowing me to be here this morning with you and I hope that we understand some things about depravity, where we were and where we're at and where we're gonna be going. He says in John chapter 14, John chapter 14, verse one, he says, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Now I've said it before, he didn't follow that up with, if you persevere, okay? He could have put that anywhere in here if you hold out faithful to the end. I'm going to prepare a place for you and you're gonna be there if. This would be a very good place to put that in, I believe. I believe any of the, instead of preservation of the saints, you know, it'd be the perseverance of the saints.
but he is telling them without any doubt, where I go, you're going to be also. I love that. That's preservation of the saints. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I would have told you. I, this is it right here. I would have just told you if it were so. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. There's no doubt where they're going to be at the end of time. That's where we're going to be. I can't tell the future, but I can tell you about the future. Okay? I'm not, no, you know, can see what's going to happen, but I know what's going to happen. And the Lord went to prepare a place for you. For you and for you and for I. And where he is, we're going to be there. That's a fact. And don't forget it. It's not based on what I said. It's based on what the Lord's telling them. There's no doubt. He leaves no room for error here. Where I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again in the resurrection and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whether I go, you know. How do you know? You know the way. He says, whether I go, you know, and the way, you know. Thank God we know where we're at. We know the love of God had for his children. He sent forth his son. He appears to you in time during regeneration. And one and final day in the resurrection, we're going to be in heaven. That's where he came down to do his father's will. He came down from heaven not to do his own will, but the will of him that sent him. And this is the Father's will. All that he has given him shall come to him. He'll no eyes cast out. Thank God for the P. Thank God for the T. Thank God for unconditional election, the limited atonement. God didn't die for the world in general. It's not a general atonement. We believe in the limited atonement. God's going to, everyone he atoned for on the cross of Calvary, is going to be with him in that place that he's prepared for them. In that mansion above, I thank you for your kind attention.